1: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com Wondery.
0: Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th.
2: I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. The holiday season is well underway, but this morning it's the everyday that we're going to celebrate. Everyday heroes, to be exact. Everyday, ordinary people do extraordinary things for others, and they deserve every honor and recognition they receive, as Scott Simon of NPR will report in our cover story.
3: What would make a perfectly rational person run
4: toward danger? instead of away from it. I don't know why I ran towards it. I just reached down there and, and grabbed Chase, all 90 pounds of them, and, <laughs> and pulled them out.
5: And uh, it is my distinct honor and privilege to present to you the Carnegie Medal for Civilian Heroism. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much.
3: Later on Sunday morning, we'll meet some real heroes among us.
2: Our Sunday profile this morning features Vigo Mortensen, an actor of diverse talents, and many different roles, as Tracy Smith will show us.
6: There's always hope
7: Much like snowflakes, no two Vigo Mortensen performances are alike.
8: Now I'm going to do his teeth and cut off his fingers
7: On purpose
8: And my job is to look at the world from points of view other than my own. Sometimes we're radically different.. <laughs>
7: His latest, a dad raising his kids in the wild. Off the beaten path with Vigo Mortensen, ahead on Sunday morning.
2: Tis the season for a drop-in from Techno Claus, the man in red who some believe resembles our David Pogue. It's two weeks
9: before Christmas and all through the land business of shopping for gifts is at hand. You want great ideas? Want this one? It's not a lost cause. Good morning. Coming up, this year's visit from Old Techno Clause.
2: On Broadway is where actress Sutton Foster got her first big break many years ago, and she's still wowing them on stage, while also finding time to talk to our Mo Rocca.
10: So let me get right
11: to the point
12: Sutton Foster isn't just a two-time Tony Award-winning triple threat She's also a TV star You are way too young for me Yet she hasn't gone Hollywood
10: You want to go poop? I think we might get a poop Yay! This is what Broadway stars don't You get out of there
12: A real actress (laughs) cleans up her dog's poop Later on Sunday morning
10: That was excellent
12: The scoop on Sutton Foster
2: Come on, guys Richard Schlesinger takes a walk with the very street-smart comedian Billy Eichner. Connor Knighton is on the trail to Hawaii's Volcanoes National Park. Bill Flanagan remembers a chance encounter with hero astronaut John Glenn. And more.
13: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at
14: play.it.
2: Everyday heroes actually aren't all that rare. Still, acts of heroism in the face of mortal danger are unusual enough that when they happen, there ought to be a medal. And as Scott Simon of NPR will now tell us, there is. Here's a question for you.
11: It's Spider-Man!
2: Do heroes look like this?
3: Or like this? Ashley Aldrich, a 19-year-old mother of two in Auburn, Illinois
11: i was making lunch for the kids and i had just finished cleaning up when i saw earl sitting out here yelling for help
3: she didn't know earl mormon's name then just that he was a stranger in a wheelchair on the train tracks right outside her home
11: i went to the neighbor and asked him if he could watch the kids for a minute while i came to check on earl
3: earl is 75 years old his wheelchair had gotten stuck on the train tracks and he was stuck in his chair
11: at first i tried to lift the wheelchair up out of the tracks but i realized that wasn't going to work so i grabbed him from behind and tried to lift him up over the wheelchair
3: his big guy yeah the guard arms had closed because a train was roaring straight at them
11: every time i looked up it was closer and the point when i actually was able to get him out i was pulling him back and the train smashed into the chair It was seconds after I pulled him out. Are you in the slide?
3: Heroes like Ashley Aldridge are courageous and rare. But each year, something called the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission gives medals, scholarships, medical expenses if required, and a reward of about $5,000 to an average of 88 people in the United States and Canada. Lots of people think they know what a hero is. You have a particular definition. It's a person who's under no obligation to act, leaves a place of safety, puts his self or herself in serious risk of death or major injury to save the life of another human being. Mark Lasko is chairman of the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission in Pittsburgh. These people are almost always rescuing strangers. They're not bound to them by family or tribe or any, any personal interest. The Carnegie Hero Fund is one of many philanthropic institutions founded by Andrew Carnegie. He came to Pittsburgh from Scotland when he was just a boy and rose to become one of the titans of the American steel industry and one of the richest men in the world. In 1901, at the age of 65, he sold the Carnegie Corporation and put his millions to work in foundations that still bear his name. He was a man of ideas. He was tremendously concerned with issues of peace and justice and ethics and established organizations to support all of those things. And then, on a frigid January day in 1904, a mine explosion near Pittsburgh killed 181 men. Andrew Carnegie was shaken, and he shared his sorrow in this letter pulled from the Foundation's archive. I can't get those widows and children of the mine out of my head, he wrote. He was particularly moved by the stories of two men, Selwyn Taylor and Daniel Lyle, who gave their lives trying to save men they had never met, who were trapped in the mine. Carnegie minted two medals in their honor and gave them to their families, making Taylor and Lyle the first Carnegie heroes.
15: I really have to say that for our family in general, you know, heroism um, has always been pretty high.
3: Linda Thorell-Hills is Andrew Carnegie's great-granddaughter. She sits on the board of the Hero Fund.
15: A tragedy or something terrible can be taking place, and a whole bunch of people are just standing there and going, oh, my God, what do we do? Or they don't do anything, or they run the other way. And then this individual somehow finds that deeper inner strength that they're compelled to help this person in need.
3: In the last 112 years, over 9,800 men, women, and children have been honored. Each has a remarkable story. Lewis Bowman of Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania, was one of the first to receive the award. He rescued a man from drowning on July 17, 1904. On March 26, 1912, 12-year-old Henry Matthews of Dothan, Alabama, saved a 3-year-old from an abandoned well. Professional boxer Rudell Stitch of Louisville, Kentucky, received the award twice. The First time in 1958 when he rescued a man working on a dam on the Ohio River. Two years later, a second rescue attempt was unsuccessful. Both men died. 28-year-old Stitch received the award posthumously.
8: At that second, I'm taking my boots and my coat off, and um, I've decided I'm going in after
3: you may remember Lenny Skutnik. January 13, 1982, he dove into the frozen waters of the Potomac River to save a plane crash victim as she began to drown. 78 people died that day. There were only five survivors, and thanks to Lenny Skutnik, one of them was Priscilla Torado, who lost her husband and baby in the crash.
8: Then I swam off to the side, and that that was mission accomplished.
15: None of them think they did anything extraordinary. They think that it just is something that you do, and yet we well know that that's not true.
4: I don't know why I ran towards it. I just, you know, um, I would hope that anybody would have done the same thing. But would we? Andy Baugh
3: is 29 years old, a husband, father, and a midget car racer. He was on the track last year when he saw a rival car crash and burst into a fireball. He stopped his own racer to run toward the one on fire and reached through the flames for the driver, a 14-year-old kid he'd never met named Chase McDermott.
4: I just reached down there and and grabbed Chase, all 90 pounds of him, and (laughs) underneath of his uh, arms and and pulled him out and kind of jumped on him. Both Andy and Chase walked away from that fire unscathed. You risked your
3: life for another human being.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I guess so. you know, you don't think any of that stuff at the time, you know. Um, it, it didn't matter then. And you worried for your own life? I don't know. I, I wasn't. Not not at the time. I sure wasn't. will be.
3: And so Eric Zarin, director of the Carnegie Hero Fund, presented Andy with his medal quietly in the McDermott family home as this hero
4: preferred.
6: Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very
4: much. I'm very honored to, to get it. It kind of helps sink it all in some, you know. Nobody wants to be dubbed a hero, I I guess. It was hard for me to accept everybody's calling me a hero, and and to me it was just right place, right
15: time. It defines us as human beings. To take yourself from a place where you are safe to a place of grave danger to try to save another life is uniquely human. And I think it's a wonderful defining attribute of humanity. It makes us special, and it makes those who can do that even more special.
3: To date, almost 89,000 people have been nominated for the award. You would be awed to hear almost any of their stories. But only about one in ten is chosen. Why would someone not measure up? The risk is the primary requirement, and many of the cases simply are just not risky enough. Walter Rutkowski, who is now president of the fund, was one of its investigators for many years. They are life-saving deeds, which is wonderful, but they don't uh, have that element of extraordinary risk that the commission requires. It's the damsel tied to the railroad track, and the the knight comes and uh, unleashes her right before the train strikes. And sometimes the knight is a damsel, which brings us back to Ashley Aldridge. It is indeed my honor and privilege to present today the Carnegie Medal for Heroism to Ashley Marie Aldridge for her life-saving actions on September 15, 2015. Ashley, congratulations. Thank you. And the biggest reward isn't a medal
11: or money. I would want someone to do that for me if that was my grand plus duck. So I just had to.
3: Just what a hero would say.
2: Coming up? We say cheese. And now a page from our Sunday morning almanac. December 11th, 1874, 142 years ago today, the day James Lewis Craft was born on a small farm in the Canadian province of Ontario. As a young man, Kraft went into the cheese business, ending up in Chicago, where he sold his wares from a wagon for a while. In 1914, Kraft's company purchased its first cheese factory in Stockton, Illinois. His big breakthrough came two years later when he received a patent for his improved process of sterilizing cheese so that it would keep without spoiling. Kraft's processed cheese quickly became a huge success. The U.S. Army bought six million pounds of it during World War I, and millions of pounds more during World War II. In between came a product welcomed by families struggling to make ends meet during the Great Depression.
11: It was actually one of our sales reps who put together a grated cheese along with the macaroni. Mm, it's okay. A few
2: years ago, really Kraft Foods' Eileen Sharkey Rosenfeld told the mac and cheese tale to Sunday morning.
11: The idea of having both things um, together in one package was just revolutionary.
2: And that brings us to another staple of the American diet, the grilled cheese sandwich. With processed cheese dominating one category of the 2013 Grilled Cheese Invitational. Well, grilled cheese. Our Bill Geist <laughs> spoke with sandwiches. founder Tim Walker.
16: There's the
5: Love American style, which is just white bread, orange cheese and butter, no additional ingredients. How do you stand out in that category? Grilling acumen.
2: And though cheese purists may argue that processed cheese isn't real cheese, that's hardly hurt its popularity.
15: cheese, it's K-R-A-L-T.
2: When it comes to simplicity, practicality, and a long shelf life, processed cheese stands alone. Hungry yet? Don't touch her.
5: Miss, Miss Olivia. Ahead. How famous are you? I'm on my way, in my mind.
2: Comic Billy Eichner, streetwise. streetwise.
5: Don't touch her, she doesn't deserve to touch you. He has an Emmy award, took him seven times, but still he won.
11: Congratulations.
5: Go for a dollar. Be honest. Who's hotter, Abraham Lincoln or Barack Obama?
9: Oh,
2: Barack Obama.
5: Oh, sorry, it's Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> it all goes by my opinion. By
2: the way, you joking around with Michelle Obama is one way comic Billy Eichner burnishes his street smart credentials. Confronting regular folks on the street is another. Richard Schlesinger shows what we mean.
5: Who do you think's funnier? Be honest. Me or Seth Rogen?
4: Oh my god, you. Thank you! Oh my god, a million times. Really? I don't think he's funny at all. Oh wow, well he's right here, Seth Rogen!
14: That voice, it's, like it's hard you. to miss, and it belongs yeah, okay. to Billy Eichner, one of the new voices to in comedy. Face?
5: Miss Olivia Wilde is beautiful. Please oh, tell me I'm beautiful. You're gorgeous. Yes, yes, let's go, let's go. Look at her skin, look at her skin, and, and
2: die trying to get it. Miss.
14: He is loud, You're damn right and am. in your face.
5: I like the movie, and I hope you do another one.
2: Thank you, and it, it, it did make an enormous amount of cash. Oh, why
5: don't you shove that down our faces? We know you're very rich!
14: And he's starting to be heard in Hollywood.
5: Miss, for a dollar, look who it is.
14: The very city he loves to mock.
5: What's his name? Chris Evans. No, Chris Pratt!
14: How how famous are you?
5: I'm on my way, in my mind. I think I've made a lot of progress. I don't know what level of fame that is, but I'm fine with it. I actually really enjoy uh, whatever it is I have right now.
10: Oh, my God, it's you. Yes!
5: What he has
14: ending. is this show.
5: For a dollar, who would you rather meet, your mother or Neil Patrick Harris? Patrick Harris. He's right here! I did see him.
14: Billy on the Street, where 38-year-old Eichner races around New York. What's his name? What's his name? With A-list celebrities like Will Ferrell in tow... Along with many more.
0: Hey guys, uh, I'm John Hammond. I'm on Billy on the Street. Yes.
14: Confronting unsuspecting pedestrians.
0: She doesn't deserve to touch you.
14: With a high octane staccato talk show drive! slash prank fest
9: the stretch
14: they come slash very low stakes game show
5: miss for a dollar would you have sex with paul rudd that's paul Of course i would yes thank you here's a dollar it started its fifth season now on true tv The, the billy on the street character if you know me is extremely separate from who i am people are like he's loud he's gay i can tolerate him in small doses his character is pushy to say the least Okay, Floatus, hold on, let me get in the
14: cart. But here he is being pushed around by First Lady Michelle Obama.
0: Stop! Stop! Stop!
14: Ah. He also co-stars on Difficult People, a sitcom about bitter showbiz wannabes. It was just renewed for a third season on Hulu, the video streaming service.
1: Okay, what's today? It's Tuesday no Billy it's Thursday what you've been sleeping for three days I slept for three days warm,
14: and until cold. recently until, until YouTube <laughs> he could never have gotten where he did well,
5: Tina Fey. yes Billy you lost
14: how he did
5: ladies it's Fashion week yeah! Yeah! Ah!
14: Ah! Eichner invented in Billy on the street when he was appearing way off Broadway in his own show. I go into a store, I see the
5: mannequin, and if it looks... I'm bored.
14: It got a little notice. But when he put the show on YouTube, it got a lot of notice.
5: I could take these meetings in L.A. and say, hey, half a million people think this video is great. Look what they're saying about me on the blogs. Like, this is beyond a small... This will go beyond a small circle of people in Manhattan. And it did.
14: Eichner started performing in the smallest circle of all. As a child in his parents' living room.
5: This is where I lived from like two years on, two years, and this is my window right here. It's a very small apartment.
14: He was raised in Queens, New York, and Billy the Kid was one lousy neighbor.
5: I would sing late at night. People would complain. I remember the neighbors coming down and knocking on our door and saying to my mom, we wish him the best of luck, but it's just very late. The
14: songs were mostly numbers from the Broadway shows his parents took him to see. How about a nice half my man? Bill, once again for doing such a tremendous job, ladies and gentlemen. By the time he was bar mitzvahed, right. it was pretty clear where he was headed. He knew it,
6: we be diamond, we be
14: and his late mother knew it.
6: Have a long,
11: happy, healthy life, and I do hope we'll see you in Hollywood.
5: <laughs> I would put on a suit to watch the Oscars. I mean, no one's proud of it richard but it's what happened
14: there's nothing to be ashamed of
5: i don't know why but i had show business the performing arts in my blood from as far back as i can remember
14: the thing is he could have been a rocket scientist or any other kind of scientist no joking so does it look the same
5: it looks exactly the same it's a beautiful school yeah it is and are you up here That's me. Oh.
14: He was accepted into a famed high school for performing arts, but instead, he decided to attend the uber-selective Stuyvesant High School in New York, one of the top schools in the nation for math and science.
5: I was a good student. This is where you went. If you got into this school, you went.
14: Like Eichner himself, Billy on the Street is not just smart, it's
5: quick. For a dollar, what's the name of the theater David Letterman films his TV show in?
0: a Tonight Show. No, yeah. no! 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 That never happened! No! Matt Damon! If Matt
14: Damon. Eichner and yes. his act all yes. seem ridiculous, it was all serious enough for The New Yorker. Yes, The New Yorker.
5: They wrote about me in The New Yorker.
14: Not too shabby. There was his profile, alongside essays about photographer Diane Arbus and British politician Jeremy Corbyn. Eichner was dubbed hyperliterate in the language of pop culture.
5: I love the incongruity of it. And we belong in the New Yorker, and we also belong, you know, on some pop culture blog. Billy,
13: do something crazy!
5: And if Billy
14: Eichner is not a name in every household yet, that's okay. That's what he says. Of course, he could be kidding.
5: I'm very comfortable where I'm at, and as long as I keep working and, and doing good things, whatever fame comes along with that comes along, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean... But it will, Richard. Yes, right, Yes, you'll, <laughs> you'll see to it, won't you?
2: Still to come... Yes, it's TechnoPlause. Start making a list. But first, a musical treasure in Tulsa.
13: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
12: It's a heart.
8: It's a heart. It's a heart.
2: It's a heart. It's a hundred rain's gonna fall. That's Patti Smith singing Bob Dylan's A Hard Rain's a Gonna Fall at yesterday's Nobel Prize ceremony. He, of course, was absent, physically absent, perhaps, but a presence in that hall, nonetheless, as he has been in our lives for more than half a century.
9: Then you better start swimming or you'll
2: sink like a stone For the times, they are a-changing The words were true then, and they're true now The 20-something Bob Dylan who first sang them Well, he's now 75 But age hasn't mellowed America's poet Bob Dylan Take winning the Nobel Prize in Literature the Swedish Academy couldn't even find Dylan to tell him the news. When they did finally reach the singer-songwriter, he was pleased by the honor. It wasn't totally unexpected. Dylan doesn't talk much. He just sings. And while his story is well known, where the artifacts of that story are stored is one of the best-kept secrets around.
0: What we're looking at is just kind of the tip of the iceberg.
2: Welcome to the Bob Dylan Archive. Thousands of his personal writings and items housed at the University of Tulsa. Michael Chaikin is the curator.
0: You know, the biggest surprise in the archive, not just for me, but also for his biographers and people who have have seriously studied his work, was the amount of uh, writing that Bob managed to hold on to.
2: Why Oklahoma? For starters, it's the home state of Woody Guthrie, one of Dylan's biggest influences. And then there's the money. Dylan sold his collection to the school for an undisclosed amount. Reportedly, as much as $15 million. And it is a treasure trove. Among the items, the initial draft of one of the most famous songs of
0: all time.
9: Once upon a time, it dressed so fine. Do the of dime in your prime. Then you...
0: These songs didn't arrive. Full formed. I mean, Bob was a, was a worker. I mean, whatever his native talents and his wit and his intelligence, I mean, he had an incredible writerly discipline.
2: And here are his notes, the lyrics that would eventually become subterranean homesick blues. John is in a basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on a pavement, thinking about the government. I- There are the musings that would become Maggie's Farm and Tangled Up in Blue.
9: I had a job in the great north woods working as for a spell but I never did like it all that much and one day the,
2: just fell. the Along with manuscripts, musical instruments.
0: And this is the tambourine that inspired uh, Bob's song, Mr. Tambourine Man.
2: Right. Also, clothes. This is the leather jacket Dylan wore the night he went electric and was booed by fans who felt betrayed. There's his first publishing contract. In
13: 1962, Bob got uh, a $1,000 advance.
2: (laughs) The goal is to make the archive available to researchers, scholars, and the public. But will the man himself pay a visit?
4: you would have to ask Bob Dylan. I don't know.
2: What we do know is what it means to the rest of us. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man,
9: play a song for me. I'm not sleepy and there is no
2: place I'm going to. Ahead, we're a Broadway band with Sutton Foster. Sutton Foster singing a Cole Porter classic. She's been a star on Broadway for a while now. And though she's branched out recently, she's never forgotten her first big break. Moraka has her story. You're going out a youngster, but you've got
8: to come back a star.
2: It's a showbiz myth. Oh, there she is
12: now! (laughs) As old as showbiz itself. The understudy who overnight... A star.
9: This is
10: 1922!
12: But it actually happened to Sutton Foster. In the year 2000, Foster was the 25 year old understudy to the lead in the Broadway bound musical Thoroughly Modern Millie. In my heart, he'll be a when director Michael Mayer called her.
10: He said that the woman playing Millie has left the show and the role of Millie is yours if you want it. I was on the other line with the boyfriend at the time and I was like, what? And like clicked off with Michael Mayer, went back to the boyfriend. I was like, I have to call you back. But the fact is everything today is thoroughly modern.
12: It was just one week before opening night.
10: You've made a mistake. I mean, I think I said that. I was like crying. I was like, why are you making a mistake? Like, why would you take a risk on this, on me?
12: But it was a risk that paid off. Foster went out there an unknown and came back with her first Tony Award. Sutton Foster! One of the things that I'm most proud of
10: is that the opportunity came and I was ready. Meaning I was prepared, I knew my stuff, I worked really hard, and I stepped in.
11: Yes, for now we'll go.
12: Sutton Foster was born in Georgia and started dancing when she was four years old. Her father worked for General Motors. Her mother, whose dream of becoming a model never worked out, gently nudged Sutton and her older brother Hunter onto the stage. When Mrs. Foster saw that a local theater company was producing Annie, she knew who should play the title role. My mother said, you should audition.
10: And I was like, I don't want to, I want to play with my friend Bethany, and she was over. <laughs> and My mom's like, you should go, and Bethany can come too. And we went to the audition, I had to sing, and my mom said the room got really quiet, and then they cast me as Annie.
12: Would you say that your mother was a stage mother?
10: I wouldn't say my mom was a stage mom because she wasn't like Mama Rose, wasn't like that. But I will say that she was the one who's encouraged us to go to the library and take out musicals so we could listen because right. we didn't know what Broadway was. I was like, what's Les Mis? What's Phantom? She wasn't like aggressive. Stage mom has such a negative right. connotation right. to it, but she was definitely
12: responsible. Welcome 15-year-old Sutton Foster, And it was Foster's mother who saw the ad to audition for the TV show that Sutton was obsessed with. You're
11: my world, you're every
12: prayer, I pray. Challenger Sutton Foster receives three and a half stars. I lost. You came in second. I get out of two people. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of gumption that's endeared Foster to audiences in show-stopping role after role after role. She won her second Tony in Cole Porter's Anything Goes. Anything goes. When you were Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes, there was that impossible-to-believe eight-minute tap dance Yeah, spread.
10: I kept thinking it would get easier and it never did. Every night I thought my face was going to explode, but it never did, which was good. They never believed it if my friends
12: could see me. Foster can sing, and she can dance. But what sets her apart is her acting.
10: A lot of people say, what's most important, acting, singing, or dancing? And I say, always acting, because singing without acting is just noise. Because it's got to be fast, too. Dancing without acting is just arm movement. I don't feel like I'm just moving around and doing, like, fancy footwork. That's it. Same thing can go with singing. Someone can Where sing super I high am. notes. Tonight I've landed, pal. But if it's not based in any reality or any purpose, then it's just showboating. If my And it's
12: the acting that definitely plays lead in her current role as Charity Hope Valentine.
10: The minute you walked in the joint...
12: The dance hall hostess searching for love in the new group's off-Broadway production of Sweet Charity. The part was made famous on stage by Gwen Verdon and in the movie by Shirley MacLaine. Foster's charity is surprisingly funny,
9: give me your
12: hand. And no less poignant. What is Charity doing wrong that she has this string of relationships and she can't quite seem to get it right?
10: Charity is desperate to be saved.
11: There's gotta be something better than She
10: this. wants to be saved from this life that she's in. She thinks maybe a man will save her. It doesn't matter who the guy is. If it's a guy, he's the
12: one. I'm gonna get
11: up, I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna get
12: Charity is a woman struggling to figure out what will make her happy. Foster faced a similar quandary after her divorce from actor Christian Borle in 2009.
10: I kept equating it to like someone took my purse and dumped it out on the sidewalk and it was all my all my stuff like everywhere. And for 3 years I was like sludging through mud to sort of rebuild myself
12: it's a very evocative image like dump your purse out it sounds like something that would happen to charity
10: totally right yeah charity and i charity and i go way back (laughs) what's what's interesting is that i know her because i think i have been her but i don't luckily i don't feel like i'm her now foster is now married to screenwriter
12: ted griffin (laughs) since you're always compared to mary tyler moore are you ever tempted to throw your hat up in the air They live in New York, where she stars in the TV comedy Younger. You are way too young for me. I'm 26 dude, I mean, we' got to be the same age. give or take. She plays a 40-something single mom passing herself off as a 26 year old to get work.
2: Donald Trump wants to wear the crown. Tell him no. Okay. Amy Schumer wants to wear the crown. Tell her yes. On it.
12: But for Sutton Foster, this isn't so big a stretch. Yeah. A word that was used to describe you a lot early on was plucky. Just a Plucky. Lot. Right. Yeah. How did you feel about that word? Plucky.
10: <laughs> I mean, it's pretty right on, especially in my youth. I mean, in my youth. Like... I've been, like, 15 my entire life. You know, my tagline on my phone says, sent from the land of puppy dogs and rainbows. Like, I'm like a little Pollyanna. I look at the world with rose-colored glasses. I'm incredibly hopeful. In many ways, still very naive. I think a lot of that has helped me, meaning my sort of naivete has sort of gotten me in trouble at times, but it's also
12: like I haven't stopped myself from doing
10: doing things.
12: So you get to live in New York City where you work on the stage just a couple miles away and do a TV show in town, you're living the dream. <laughs>
9: it's pretty cool.
2: Next. It notes your car's position when you park. Here comes Technoclaus. Tis the season for gifts, a challenge that cries out for Technoclaus, who some people think bears a striking resemblance to David Pogue, of Yahoo Tech.
1: Good morning!
9: Yes, it's Technoclaws, your gift-suggesting friend, appearing one night only for your pleasure at year's end. And let's be glad the year is over. If I may be frank, with Zika, Brexit, violence, that election, this year stank! Let's turn our minds to brighter things, like what I brought this year Some high-tech gifts are guaranteed to spread a little cheer. If you, like me, are longing for less awful times gone by, the classic NES Nintendo might just catch your eye. It plugs into your TV here, and presto, you're in biz with 30 games from days of yore. Your teenage years, that is. A picture frame that's digital? It's not a new idea, but get your folks a nice one, like these Knicks plays I got here. You send them shots remotely from your laptop or your phone, and they'll show up in Shanghai while you're back here in Bayonne. The metal frame looks great, and there's a motion sensor here. The screen goes dark when it decides that nobody is near. The Zeus is for your car. You see, you plug it in as shown. It charges two devices, like your tablet and your phone. And when the night has fallen, look, it lights up in the dark. But best of all, it notes your car's position when you park. An app directs you back to it, like radar scans of old. It's 30 bucks in plastic, or 500 bucks in gold. Alarm clocks wake you up with noise, like hammers in your head but this one wakes you up with smells like mint or toasted bread. It's called the sense Awake, a handy moniker, because when morning comes, a lovely scent comes wafting up your schnoz. And if three minutes pass and you're still lying there out cold, some music plays as backup like a lamin' fox of old. It seems as though all things in life go digital one day. And now it seems a notebook has seen fit to go that way. The Wave, it's called. You use it with this special kind of pen. You make your brilliant sketches as you always have. And then an app, a snap, and presto, all your notes are now online. It's in your email, Google Docs, what have you. See, here's mine. And when it's full, you just erase it. Use again. See, look. You pop it in the microwave and simply cook the book. It's all just stuff. I'll grant you that. But hey, be of good cheer. I'll also try to bring you all a happier next year.
2: Next.
13: It's amazing how much history and knowledge is encased in each one of these individuals. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Living history. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast
13: network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
2: With the ranks of American veterans of World War II dwindling every day, Steve Hartman has found a young man who means to keep their stories of heroism alive.
17: For as long as he can remember, 19-year-old Rishi Sharma has been fascinated with World War II. But it wasn't until recently that he realized this history is still living.
13: There are real superhero World War II vets out there, and I want to meet them.
17: So in 2014, as a junior in high school, Rishi made it his mission I ditched so many days of high school
13: to go do an interview. You were skipping school to go interview vets? Yeah. I started riding my bike to the local senior home. I interviewed those guys. Then I started driving.
17: Today, he tries to meet one a day. Every single day. Drives all over Southern California, searching out every World War II combat that he can find. I had a lot of missions. Like Marine Tank Commander Ernie Isley.
3: They were going to make
17: a big camp there and attack us at night. <laughs> Rishi talks to these guys for hours, wow. then gives the recordings to the families. Thank you so, much. so far, he has interviewed more than 210 combat vets, a remarkable total, but a monumental failure as far as he's concerned. Rishi says we're losing about 400 World War II vets a day. He can't talk to them fast enough.
13: It's amazing how much history and knowledge is encased in each one of these individuals and how much is lost when one of them dies without sharing their story. The fact is, I wake up every day to obituaries, guys who I wanted to interview, and I have to find out that, you know, they died.
17: At this point, I should tell you, Rishi doesn't come from a military family. His parents immigrated here from India. And yet, he cares more about our greatest generation than any teenager I have ever met. My name is Rishi Sharma. In addition to his daily interview, he calls at least five World War II vets a day just to thank them for their service and sacrifice.
13: It means a great deal to me that you are willing to endure all of that so that I could be here today. Well,
8: thank you very much.
17: Thanking veterans and preserving their legacies is so important to Rishi, He's now delaying college, starting a GoFundMe, and expanding his mission across the country. This is a map of all the places that I'm planning to go to. This is a multi-year trip, right? Oh, yeah,
13: I'm going to be on the road for years.
17: Yeah, well, I thank you so much for your time. Nice to know, as long as there are World War II veterans (laughs) willing to talk, there will be at least one young man willing to listen.
13: I mean it. You mean a lot to me.
6: I swore to protect you. Can you protect me from yourself?
2: Still to come. Vigo Mortensen. And later...
14: It's so impressive.
2: We go with the flow.
8: Now you must die. I summon you to fulfill your oath. None but the King of Gondor.
2: It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Jane Pauley. The Lord of the Rings movie trilogy made Viggo Mortensen a very big star, added proof for anyone who needs it that he can command just about any kind of role. Tracy Smith has our Sunday profile.
8: I can avoid being seen if I wish, but to disappear entirely, that is a rare gift.
13: Who are you? Where are you taking
7: us? Into the wild. Watching his bold heroics in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it's clear the camera loves Viggo Mortensen. There's always hope. But the soft-spoken actor isn't so sure whether the feeling's mutual.
8: The camera's your friend, but it's like this person that's there that doesn't doesn't talk. But they have really good eyesight, and... um, (laughs) So true. You should be on your toes. This is mute, <laughs> hawk-eyed friend that doesn't know how to keep a secret. I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> Let us together rebuild this world that we may share in the days of peace.
7: Making friends with the camera has turned Mortensen into a respected movie star, with roles ranging from blockbuster king...
8: Now I'm going to do his teeth and cut off his fingers.
7: ...to art house villain... ...with some sparks along the way. (laughs) But his most recent movie, Captain Fantastic, finds Mortensen, who has a 28-year-old son, playing a part he says he's more comfortable with these days, a dad.
8: What Ben and I have created here may be unique in all human existence. We created a paradise out of Plato's Republic. I play a father of six children, and we live off the grid. We live in the middle of the forest in the northwest of the United States.
12: Why does mommy have to be gone so long?
8: Something tragic happens, which makes them have to leave the forest. Attention all campers, this is your captain's speech. Here we have the embodiment of Calvin Coolidge's statement that the business of America is business. When they leave the forest and meet other kids, other families, see towns, see cities, uh, they're socially inept, which is understandable.
4: What's wrong with everyone? Are they sick? What do you mean? Everyone's so fat.
8: Yeah,
9: they
4: yeah. are. Fat like hippos. That's not nice to say. But look!
7: The movie got good reviews, and there's lots of awards buzz for Vigo. But in typical dad fashion, he wants to share all the credit with his young castmates.
8: You'll fall in love with with these six kids. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, they're they're beautiful.
7: Mortensen's own childhood was an international one. Born in Manhattan, his mother was American, his father Danish, he spent his first decade of life in South America, Argentina mostly. When his parents divorced, he moved with his mom to upstate New York. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
8: A crow was probably what I wanted to be, most of all.
7: Really? Yeah. Why is that? What is it about crows?
8: They're survivors. They can live anywhere. Very self sufficient. They're very resourceful, adaptable.
7: That sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you could live off the grid? Yeah. I mean, I have. Today, the divorced actor splits his time between Spain, where his girlfriend lives, and wherever work is, always making sure he can get outdoors, often alone.
8: Some people, if they're not on the phone or hearing the radio or Interacting with somebody, you know, every half hour or so, then they start to get nervous. It's like, where is everybody, you know? It's like, I'm glad nobody's here, personally, <laughs> except you and All me. All right, yeah, <laughs> uh, you
7: and me. Thanks for adding that, video. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> he took an acting class on a whim in his early 20s, never expecting it become a career. But a small part in Witness, the Oscar winning 1985 film starring Harrison Ford, got Vigo noticed.
9: Look what I got! Look what I got! I mean, look at me! You got everything!
7: And from there, the jobs just kept coming. A bird will
8: fall frozen dead from a bow without ever having felt sorry for itself. some skill with a blade.
7: But this is the role he nearly turned down. Cast at the last minute, Mortensen was unsure he could do the part. I swore to protect you. Can you protect me from yourself? But his son, Henry, who was 11 at the time, told him to grasp the ring.
8: He said, Dad, that's, you should do that. You know, and I was explaining, well, it'll take a long time. I'm not really ready. He says, you'll figure it out, you know, you should do it. It's really, could be good.
7: And your son convinced you? He was right. And what was his review?
8: Fortunately, it was good. He liked it.
7: And so did just about everyone else. The film trilogy is one of the most successful franchises of all time and turned Mortensen into an international movie star.
8: I mostly look at it as a positive thing. Uh, This attention that we all got from the extraordinary success of Lord of the Rings because it gave me opportunities. It gave me more options. More stories to pick from.
7: This is uh, Headquarters.
8: Yep, this is Percival Press. This is our and
7: a chance room. to tell a few all stories these of his bodies. own.
8: There are numerous books are out here. I do music too. has a bunch of CDs.
7: With money he made from Lord of the Rings, Mortensen was able to start his own publishing company, Percival Press. A
8: great poet named Scott Wanberg.
7: Where he can help California out lesser known stars in other fields.
8: This is a typical book of ours, something that might not have been published otherwise and certainly not in this way.
7: It's also an outlet for Mortensen's other talents, poetry and painting, photography and music.
8: You're in very wrong place, Anna Ivanovna. You belong in there with nice people.
7: And he's found poetic moments in his
8: acting career, too.
7: When his role in 2007's *Eastern Promises* got him a slew of Best Actor nominations, he brought his movie-loving mom as his date.
8: The best experience that season, where I was nominated for that movie, was the SAG Awards. You know, anybody I knew would come over. Is this your mom? And, and I say, Yep. She would say, That's so and so. That's he directed this and that and that. And she was like, That's so-and-so. And that's John Travolta. And she goes, Hang on a second. And she got up and walked over and she says, Hello. And then she's pointing over to me and said. It's my son. And I was like, wow. (laughs) It was great. It was great. Um, you know, she's gone now. Um, but we did do that and really really that was a special very memorable experience. It's precious. Yeah. Our children shall be philosopher kings makes me so indescribably happy
7: now with Captain Fantastic, there's talk he'll be nominated for some big awards once again. But whatever happens next, Vigo Mortensen says he's already won. As
8: far as acting, I mean, if Captain Fantastic was my last role, I've had a good run. That wouldn't be too bad a way to go out, you know, but you never know.
2: Earlier, we met some everyday heroes who risked mortal danger in order to save others. Now, our Bill Flanagan remembers the time he met an American hero of the sort you really don't meet every day, former astronaut and Senator John Glenn, who died this past week at age 95.
6: I met John Glenn at a reception at the White House in May of 2012. A woman came up to me and said she and her parents were fans of Sunday morning, Would I mind saying hello to them? I said, sure. What are your folks' names? She said, John and Annie Glenn. I almost fell over. I've met a lot of famous people, but John Glenn was in a different league.
3: I don't know any words for this except the trite ones, tension is
6: mounting. My first grade teacher rolled a big black and white TV into our classroom so we could all witness the launch of his 1962 orbit around the earth and pray for his safe return. That view is tremendous. I tried to think of something to say to him that wasn't a cliche. I told myself, don't bring up the Earth orbit, don't bring up the presidential run, the return to space when he was a 77-year-old senator. So as we were introduced, I just pulled something out of the air. I said, Senator Glenn, did you ever meet Lindbergh? And John Glenn's answer amazed me. Charles Lindbergh? I did some test piloting for him when he was an aviation executive, but I didn't get to know him until we flew together in the Pacific in World War II. Now I was stunned. Charles Lindbergh, you probably know this, went from being the world's most beloved man after crossing the Atlantic in 1927 to being hated during World War II. Lindbergh had campaigned to keep the United States out of the war.
9: I do
4: not believe that our American ideals and our way of life will gain through an unsuccessful war.
6: And by the time of Pearl Harbor, He was denounced as a Nazi sympathizer. He tried to get into combat to redeem his name, but no branch of the service would have him. Finally, Lindbergh was so desperate to get into the fight that he flew himself to the middle of the Pacific War and volunteered as a civilian advisor. He went into aerial combat 50 times. He devised a way to deliver payloads of bombs to the Japanese mainland and get the planes back to base without running out of fuel. And all of this was done in secret. But nowhere in any book on either man that I can find is there any mention that one of the hotshot fighter pilots sent up to guard Lindbergh's flank was a young ace named John Glenn. The most famous aviator of the 1920s and the most famous astronaut of the 1960s flew into combat together in the 1940s when Lindbergh's glory was years behind him and Glenn's was years in the future. Not long after that meeting at the White House, I visited the National Air and Space Museum. In the same room are two great physical icons Charles Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis and John Glenn's Mercury space capsule. Most fame is fleeting. Only a few men grow larger with the passage of time. Heroes are always exceptions. There was only one John Glenn.
1: ahead there's a magma chamber that is coming up from the hot spot feeding the molten magma on the trail
2: in Hawaii Connor Knighton's tour through our national parks has taken him to Hawaii where the heat is on
16: At close to 2000 degrees Fahrenheit molten lava can be deadly but its orange glow is also a reminder of just how alive our planet is. Here on the Big Island of Hawaii, the youngest island in our youngest state, new land is being formed every minute as magma from far beneath the Earth's surface bubbles up to crackle and cool. It's
3: so impressive to see the lava. It's like nothing else. It makes you understand we live on this giant burning cinder. But we never think that. Living in New York, when you walk around New York, you don't think there's lava like way, way below me. Right. You know, but here you
16: remember that. When Robert Tricky looks out his windows, he gets a daily reminder of how lava built this island. And my property only goes out a little way. The rest is state land. He built his home here in 2000, a modern structure of glass and concrete that was designed across the Pacific by San Francisco architect Craig Steeley. It was the first in what has become a series for Steely, his lava flow homes. While some would see this jagged, rocky landscape as a challenge, Steely saw it as an opportunity. The land is some of the newest land in the country. Is that exciting to have a chance to build on that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is exciting that way. I mean, it also, it feels like a responsibility to do something right on it.
16: Steely and his family spend part of the year in Lava Flow 2. This is all like natural. This is all just kind of grown in. A small 1,400 square foot home, Steely designed for himself after falling in love with this area. What I enjoy most about architecture is building buildings that really complement and amplify and really connect with where they're located. In real estate, it's all about location. And when your location is near an active erupting volcano, well, the land comes cheaply for a reason.
1: So Kilauea Volcano, Mauna Loa Volcano, are over a geologic hotspot. There's a magma chamber that is coming up from the hotspot, feeding the molten magma.
16: Jessica Farrakane is a ranger at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. That's volcanoes, plural. Mauna Loa, the largest volcano on Earth, last erupted here in 1984. Kilauea has been continuously erupting since 1983.
1: We like to joke that we're the only national park that gets our land for free. And, um, you know, Kilauea has created more than 550 acres of new land since 1983 when Pu'u'u'u started to erupt again out in the East Rift Zone.
16: The East Rift Zone isn't far from Tricky's neighborhood. Lava was last here in 1955. It will almost certainly be here again. Do you think about what could happen in the future?
3: Sure, and that's an interesting question that people ask a lot. How can you live here knowing that it could come? You just make your peace with it. You just simply know that it's part of life. I think in some ways it makes you remember life is passing. You know, it's not permanent. You're not like
16: permanently here. Japanese for Steely, that's part yeah. of the allure. It's modern architecture for the present moment. I think the fact that it is transient
0: and the fact that it could be gone tomorrow. It makes you really aware of your time here and in a way makes you appreciate it more. For those who live
16: along the lava, it's a mindset, an appreciation for the land and an ability to go with the flow.
2: Before we take our leave this morning, some miscellaneous business. And we begin at the Mall of America outside Minneapolis, which welcomed its first Black Santa Claus last weekend. He's Larry Jefferson, whom we first met last summer when Luke Burbank took us to a Santa convention in Branson, Missouri.
15: We wish you a Merry Christmas.
2: Sadly enough, Larry's debut at the mall provoked a few racist slurs on social media. But those comments are far outweighed by expressions of support. And why does he play Santa? Let him tell you.
6: I do it because I love it. I love being Santa, and I love bringing smiles and joy and happiness to people.
2: Now, what Doyle Owens brought to people over the years was unclaimed airline baggage. Lots and lots of it. His unclaimed baggage center, which he started in 1970, buys abandoned luggage sight unseen from airlines. And sells it to shoppers, about a million a year, who hope to find treasure inside.
3: Did you say you got your watch here? I did. I have my my uh, Cartier
4: wristwatch.
2: Doyle Owen's son Brian explained the idea to our Bill Geist when he visited the huge Scottsboro, Alabama warehouse back in 2005.
8: It's a little bit like Christmas every day. <laughs> you have no idea what's in them. We have no don't have a clue
4: what's in them.
2: Brian Owen's father, Doyle, died eight days ago at age 85. But the unclaimed baggage center he founded lives on. It is nine o'clock and our store is now open. And finally this, a letter from Minnesota's Lita Schaefer saying, in her words, how about equal time for cats? Please do your research and give us an honest and genuine story about cat lovers, who she says outnumber dog lovers in this country. We're not sure about that, but without a doubt, we're overdue for a cat story, which we will do, Ms. Schaefer. Promise. I'm Jane Pauley. Please join us here again next Sunday morning.
0: If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauley, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music.